called rings and uh, you can kind of see it's yeah about marriage but uh, it's about what type of marriage uh, that you have uh, you can have a marriage that seems like a wrestling match or a boxing match or a cage match or you can have uh, God's type of uh, relationship God's type of marriage um, when I came up and looked on the stage today, God has given us an illustration by virtue uh, of us forgetting to water a plant that's on stage. Do you see how wilted that thing is? Uh, that is what happens in the house when things aren't going well in the marriage. All things will. The flowers will. You know, things just start to die. So that's why we need to have uh, the kind of marriage God wants us to have. That's why we need to have those kinds of of relationships we start out talking about uh what what about marriage what does marriage look like uh from a biblical standpoint and then last week uh daryl shared with us about what a real man looks like and uh today our topic is this what does a real woman look like now i can't help myself something fell right in my lap this week and if you've been watching the news you'll understand the picture when it comes up if not i'll explain it to you but here's what a real woman looks like y'all don't watch the news do you how many know who rick flair is <laughs> this past week the woman to his left punched him out and she was the one that's arrested so I, for this week at least, a real woman is Ric Flair's wife. If you can kick Ric Flair around, you must be a real woman. Amen, ladies? <clears throat> One day Jesus was uh, responding to a trick question by some Pharisees. They were trying to trip him up in some questions about divorce. And uh, here's what Jesus said. We looked at several verses the first Sunday, but I want to come back to what he said in, in verse number 4. He said this in verse number 4, Matthew 19. Haven't you read, this is his response to the Pharisees, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. So that's part of why we're having to do this series. <clears throat> that's part of why we're doing this topic today what a real woman looks like because God made the guys and God made the gals and we need to recognize some things about that. Now just a side message that I threw in on the first Sunday I, I, I have to throw in again today just in case you weren't here. When Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19 He gives a raven endorsement for the Genesis account. Now here's why that's important. Because a lot of people who are liberal in their theology want to say, oh, it didn't happen like that. We started out as some warm goo in a pond and grew legs, and, and that's where we came from. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus said it happened like the Bible says. Jesus said it happened like Genesis says. And if you start playing around with that, you are fooling with the deity of Christ if you start trying to question what Jesus said. So just up front, he gives us a, a, an endorsement to where we ought to know with confidence we can approach this creation account. Like I said on the, the first Sunday, we were talking about what marriage is all about. So I gave you a main rings truth, and that main truth was this. Success in marriage follows surrender to Scripture. 
Now, I don't know if we brought that up on the screen last week or not, but guys, I've got news for you. Success in being the man you're supposed to be also follows surrender to Scripture. And ladies, success in being the woman you're supposed to be also involves surrender to Scripture. So if we're going to have the kind of marriages we should have and be the kind of guys we should be and the ladies that you should be, the first step is to surrender your life to what the Word of God has to say and live by the principles of what the Bible has to say. Well, today that's why we're going to look at what a real woman looks like from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective. I'm going to start out, and I'm kind of going to challenge the guys some and then uh, Wendy Newell, Wendy's doing more than just leading worship today. Wendy's going to uh, come out also and uh, share some thoughts with you. And I'm kind of challenging the guys, and she's probably uh, challenging the women uh, more in this direction. Uh, and then I'll be back up, and, and we'll close and do an invitation. So if God did this, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him my question is this what does that suitable helper look like so guys i want to just challenge you to have the right view of what your wife should look like i want to challenge you as a husband this morning to have the right view and that's your first blank your first point this morning how the husband should view his wife i want to challenge you to have the right view the biblical view of your wife and if you're here and you're not married don't kick your mind in neutral and say i don't need this if you get married you will need it and i'm telling you even as a single guy you need to have the right perspective from a godly standpoint how you should view women so that's what we're going to talk about to start with how the husband should view his wife first thing is this the real woman for you the real woman to you is a suitable helper we read the verse just a moment ago the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him the man's view of the woman should be this god has given us what we need in our wives now if you've got a different spin on that and you're thinking man you don't know my wife and you don't know what I have to deal with and what I go through, let me just tell you this. If you married outside of the will of God, then that's on you. If you married inside of the will of God for your life, then God has given you the wife that you need, and He has placed her there in a specific way that you probably can't even begin to understand, and she may not be able to understand fully, to where she meets needs in your life and feels deficits in your life that you might not even realize are there. If you have married completely inside of God's will for your life, and if both of you are trying to live your lives and surrender to Scripture, I'm telling you something, God has given you the exact woman, the exact wife that you need. And like I said, if you messed it up by not paying attention to God's Word, that's on you. That's not God's fault. So don't go blaming God for your marriage or don't go blaming God for the relationship not being what it should be. God, God wants to give you a suitable helper. That was His intent. Now, you need to catch some things about that. A helper means this, guys. A helper means she is helping you 
do something. Did you get the emphasis on that? God did not give her to you as the doer to where she does all of it. God provided you a suitable helper. That means she is to help you do something. That doesn't mean that she does it all while you camp out on the recliner or on the sofa or in the tree stand, or in the bass boat, or on the golf course, or wherever it might be, that doesn't mean that she's the one that does everything. The word here is a helper. God gave her to you to help you do some things. The word actually means this in the Hebrew. It means to aid, to help, to be a helper. The root word means to surround, protect, or to aid. If she is aiding you or helping you, that means you yourself need to be active in something you need her help with. It doesn't mean that you just resign from being active in the relationship or being active in the home or being active in raising the kids and sit back and expect her to do it all. That's not what is meant by this term you are to be doing something so she can fulfill her god-given role to help you do something now maybe she just needs to come over and help you on the sofa or help you hold down the recliner or help you on the golf course or help you wherever it might be and, and I, when i said that some dude probably thought this well that's fine with me I mean, if she wants to come over and sit down and, and camp out on the sofa or get her own recliner or, you know, go on the golf course too or whatever, that's fine with me. I don't care if she does that. Guy, you're missing the point. She's got this domestic nesting alarm that God put there that's going off in her head, and she wants the home to look a certain way, and she wants you to help do something about it. She doesn't want to just come over and just become inactive because you're inactive. She actually wants things to look good. Guys, we have to admit it, they are not slobs like we are. And the dudes ought to be the ones saying amen there. God gave her to you to be a helper, not to do all of it. She was given you by God, the next blank is this, to be a suitable helper. And you need to understand something. This idea of her being a suitable helper is not from your perspective, it's from God's perspective. God is the one that looked down and said, I'm going to give you a suitable helper. It comes from His viewpoint and not your viewpoint. And that's probably a good thing because a lot of men's viewpoints are way off base when it comes to what a suitable helper would be. Some guys would think, well, if she's going to be a suitable helper, she needs to look like a supermodel. That is not what this suitable concept means from God's viewpoint. Men are warped enough that some guy would be thinking, if she's going to be a suitable helper for me, I'm going to install a dance pole in the bedroom. And let her be a suitable helper. There's a new TV show that's come on that's entitled The Marriage Ref. And they had a debate this week. I didn't even watch the show. I just caught it from the advertisements. This husband and wife were arguing over that. That was a big issue in their lives. He wanted to put a dance pole in the bedroom. 
And God help us, someone there they had given advice was Alec Baldwin. I'm sorry, I don't need Alec Baldwin telling me how to straighten out my marriage. He was on the national news just a couple of years back cussing out his young daughter, and they played it live on the air. He ruined the marriage that he was in. I don't need Alec Baldwin explaining to me how to straighten out my marriage. What people need is the Bible to straighten out their marriage. They need to look and see what God has to say if they want to fix the relationship. I don't need Jerry Seinfeld telling me how my relationship, how my relationship with my wife and my family ought to go. I need to seek what God has to say. You see, Alec Baldwin, Jerry Seinfeld, and any of these other people producing this show, they didn't create the family. God did. And God made the man and God made the woman. And that means he knows exactly how it ought to be. The idea of her being a suitable helper does not mean that you keep her barefoot and pregnant at home while you go out and run around with your buddies. It does not mean that she has no opinion at all and she is always to keep her mouth shut because that is the ideal that some people have as far as their wife being suitable for them. That's not what it means. Now, someone wants to think, well, I can go to the New Testament and I can show you you're taking it out of context. You ever heard of a first mentioned principle? That means God, when He first establishes some things in the Bible and talks about it, is giving us a pretty good idea how things are supposed to roll. He does that here in Genesis. He puts one man and one woman together. You can look through the Bible and find people with multiple wives. And Solomon has so many, it's no wonder he about went crazy and lost his mind. That's a joke, ladies. You see, it almost means exactly the opposite. If your concept of a suitable helper for you means that she always keeps her mouth shut and she never gives you any input, what the Bible means here is almost exactly the opposite. Because the word suitable, or in the King James, the word meet, and some other translations may translate it a different way. It's a help meet in the, uh, in the, in the King James. In the NIV we're looking at, it says a suitable helper or a helper suitable for him. The word suitable actually means this in the Hebrew. A front, a part opposite, a counterpart or a mate. But it also means over, against, or before. And the root word that it's built from means to stand boldly opposite, to manifest or announce always by word of mouth to one present. In other words, face to face, Discussion is what's being talked about. The root word means to expose, to predict, to explain, and even to praise. So here's the deal. From God's perspective, He knew that you and I as men would need a wife that could sometimes let us know when we're about to screw up. Who can sometimes stand opposite of us and let us know that we've taken a wrong path and we are about to mess up. To front you face to face, to boldly stand opposite of you. The word even meant to announce 
or to predict. Now, guys, I know we don't like this because of our stinking human pride a lot of times. But can I be really transparent with you and tell you I thank God for some times in my life that Becky has announced to me or predicted to me and I've learned enough about her to understand when she starts making some predictions sometime I probably need to take notice of it that it's probably God actually speaking to me through the lips of my wife because God put her there to be the suitable helper God put her there so she can help speak truth to us so she can warn us when we're about to screw up god did not give you a wife to be your yes man or your yes person to where they always just give a stamp of approval to what you are doing no matter what it might be i want to remind you it's a suitable helper from god's perspective not yours at the same time ladies you need to recognize this you do not need to front him down in public in front of people. You don't even need to do it in front of the kids. When we're about to screw up, please tell us, but do not do it in a way that embarrasses us. Do not do it in a way that robs us of some type of dignity. And guys, that goes both ways. Don't be putting down your wife in front of somebody else. And ladies, God called you to speak truth to your husband, not behind his back as you talk with other people and gossip with other ladies. You need to speak it to him face to face. But guys, there is a positive there. Do you see that it says also to praise? She's there to help affirm you. She's there to help give you words that encourage you to take the next step, to be the husband you need to be, to be the dad you need to be, to be whatever your vocation is in life, the best that you can be. She's there also to encourage you in those areas. So ladies, because it says to praise, I want to point out something else to you. Don't always be in the stand in opposition mode. Don't let that be always the mindset that you have. Well, the preacher now said, God put me here to correct my husband. No, you're not listening to all of it. Matter of fact, here's a verse that husbands and wives both need to pay a lot of attention to in Ephesians. However, each one of you, and this after he just talked about the one flesh concept again and things like that, a whole lot of you know, good stuff that he says before he gets to this verse that Paul writes about under divine inspiration. But then he says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife. Just finished talking to the dudes, telling us we're to love our wives like we love our own bodies. But he says here, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And then notice what else it says. And the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, listen to this. As much as you need to know that you're loved, your husband needs to know that he's respected. It's just something that's in, built into us by God because God tells us that here in this verse. Guys, our our wives need to know that we love them. 
that we love them sacrificially. Read this whole passage when you get home. That we love them sacrificially like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. But the flip side of it, ladies, is this. That man that God has put in your life, he needs to have respect. And that's why I said you don't front him down in front of people. You don't correct him in front of the kids. You don't take away his dignity. You don't disrespect him because as much as you need love, he needs respect. And that's just the way God wired us. That's the way God built us. That's part of the distinctiveness between the two. So a real woman for you is a helper, a suitable helper. But a real woman for you is also this. A real woman for you is part of you. She is part of you. The Bible says this, Genesis 2, 21 through 23. So the Lord... God caused the man to fall into a, into a deep sleep. Looked it up. The phrase deep sleep in the Hebrew means lethargy or to be lethargic <laughs> or to fall into a trance. I knew Adam was a Baptist man to start with. He, God, God puts him into a, a trance state, but the word can be translated lethargic. Uh, guys, regrettably, we can get pretty lethargic sometimes, even about our spiritual lives. And it doesn't come any, any news to you ladies this morning that your husband can fall into a trance. Amen? You've been talking to him for 10 minutes, and you think he's listening, and he's watching Sports Center, And you get at the end of your conversation, and you're looking, waiting for him to respond. He has no idea you said anything. Why? He was in a trance. And while he was sleeping, he, referring to God, took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I want you to gain some thoughts, maybe some implications, some lessons that we ought to learn from where the woman was taken. A rib is close to your lungs. Actually helps protect your, your, your lungs to help you to breathe. So just maybe God is telling us that we ought to view the wife that God has given us as being as much a part of our lives as our own breath. A rib is close to your heart. So just maybe God is telling us by having done this, to create her instead of making her out of the dust of the earth like you did Adam. Just maybe he's telling us that that wife that is given to us ought to be as close to us as her own heart and like our heartbeat. And as I mentioned a moment ago, it's there to protect. And I know, guys, a lot of times we look at ourselves as being the protector, but I thank God there have been times that my wife has protected me from some things. And that rib is there to help protect. And just maybe we need to realize that, that sometimes our wives are there to protect us also. There's an old poem several years ago in Bible bookstores. They put on plaques and things that more or less said this, God did not take woman from the head of man to be over him or from the foot of man to be underneath him, but from his side to walk beside him in life. 
God has given you your wife to be part of you. Not someone to be left behind. Not someone just to cast off to the side. She is to be part of your life. Adam even said this. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now this ought to be a pretty simple illustration. But where I walk, my flesh and my bones go. And that ought to be the mindset we have about our wives. That they are a significant part of our lives. And just as when I walk, my skeleton's going and my flesh is going, we ought to have that viewpoint that we are so close together, bonded together by God, that where I go, whether she's actually with me or not, she's really with me. In my heart and in my approach to life. And my recommendation is that she actually be physically with you as much as she can be. Save a lot of mistakes both ways in life. Especially temptations hitting and things like that. If she's with you. The real woman for you is also this. The real woman for you is the second most important thing in your life. Look what the Bible says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The word for united means to impinge, to cling, or to adhere, which we might say glued together today. The idea of being super glued together. But you need to understand something. Even though God gave her to you as a suitable helper, even though the relationship is extremely important, and now that you're married, and this works on both sides of the relationship, husband or wife, either one, it's time to quit running back to daddy and mama. That doesn't mean that you don't still love them, but God has put you together as the most important family unit, and you need to be able to live your life together, make decisions together. Sometimes you even have to lovingly tell your parents, I don't belong to you anymore, I belong to her, or I belong to him, and you work through things in your life. And I tell young couples this every time I marry them. If they need you know, some other uh, you know, ref or whatever, they're in the midst of the relationship. Don't go to parents the majority of the time because most of the time that's just going to increase the conflict. Come see me. Go find somebody else you've got some confidence in, some other good Christian counselor or whatever, and let them help you through it. But if you carry the conflict to your parents, you might work through it and everything's cool, you think. But in their mind, they remember down the road, but yeah, he treated my daughter like that, or she treated my, my son like that. And you build a history that can cause problems down the road. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, your parents are going to take your part instead of really giving you a fair estimation of what's taking place and good advice. Now, I hadn't even planned on getting into that that much, but I'm just telling you, when you get married, you've got a one-flesh concept, and you need to be hanging around your spouse. 
There's some neat things you can do around your spouse you don't want to do around your parents. It said they were both naked and they weren't ashamed. You can hang out naked. If you let me be a little bit coy, the Bible uses that term with your spouse. I don't think you want to do that with your parents. That's gross. So I just, you know, suggest to you that, that you understand how important this relationship is. But as important as it is, I want to point out something clearly to you. It is the second most important relationship in your life. Not the first. Before I tell you the first, and you probably already know where I'm going, can we go on the back side of number two for a minute on the other side of second place? Men, that means to you that your wife is more important than your children. As much as you love your children, your wife is first. As much as you may love your job or whatever else, your hobby or whatever else, your wife is the second most important part of your life. Now let's go on the front side of number two. The front side of your wife being second place. Guess what? The most important relationship in your Life is not your wife. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And while I played around with it a moment ago where it said they were both naked and they weren't ashamed, I'll throw something else in just for free, guys. Sex is not your God, and sex is not the most important part of your life. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the first most important part of your life. And if you don't get that one right, you'll not get the relationship with your wife right either. The most important relationship in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wendy, if you would come share with us. Y'all give Wendy a hand, doing double duty today. If you know basic math this morning, I ask you this. You're going to be able to figure out my age. Please don't use it against me. <laughs> I'm going to start with this. I came to the Lord when I was 10 years old. It was a, an amazing time. My parents had had a rough, a rough first 10 years of their marriage, and they found the Lord, and they brought me to church, and I found Jesus there. But it wasn't easy. My parents um, moved around a lot. We lived in nine different states went to nine different schools. My sophomore year in high school, three states, three high schools. I got bitter, I got angry, and I ran from the Lord. I used drugs and alcohol and inappropriate relationships. I even used the skill and the gifting that God gave me in music to, to play in sleazy bars and try to attract people to myself. At the age of 18, my senior year in high school, I hit a wall. See, I knew Jesus was there the whole time, but I was running from him. And I fell to my knees, and I begged him to help me. And there's a picture, a beautiful picture. When I say grace this morning, I want you to think of this. It's the picture of Jesus in, in um, John, where he is talking to the Pharisees in the group when the adulterous woman is brought before him, and he bends down, and I just picture this, and he lifts her up, he sets her on her feet, and he says, go on your way. 
because see, I'd hit my bottom. I was young, but I'd been through a lot. And it was that year that I met Al, and we had our first date, actually, in May of my senior year, right before I graduated high school. The following May, we got married, and the following May, we had our first child. Within three years, we had three kids. Al was graduating college. He'd been working full-time and, and going to school part-time, and he graduated college that year that we had three little ones, and God called him to go to seminary. We were poor. I mean, could have gotten free cheese if I'd have asked um, that poor. I just didn't, I wasn't even smart enough to know I could, but so we moved to Colorado, and by the end of that decade, around the time I turned 28, Al had his dream job at Compassion International. He had his seminary degree, and I was saying goodbye to my youngest as he went off to kindergarten, and I was 28 years old. And I hit a wall. And the temptation, women, for us when we hit that spiritual wall is to run anywhere but God. See, I had been walking with the Lord. I loved Jesus. But it was so painful and it hurt so bad that I wanted to run. And God in his grace bent down and he lifted me up. He stood me on my feet and he said, go on your way, Wendy. The next decade was incredible. Our kids were growing. They, middle school, high school, they were in sports. It was a great time. Our ministry started those years. Al left Compassion and we started doing what we're doing now. It was a great time. But again, towards the end of that decade, as our oldest daughter was getting ready to graduate from high school, I started feeling those feelings again. Because I knew, I knew that in just a few years they'd all be gone. And here again, my life, which I'd settled in and I, I loved being a mom to teenagers, but it was going to change again. And it was during those years, not, a, not exactly at the age of 38, but around that time I was diagnosed with cancer. So I had to say goodbye to my kids, and I had to deal with the cancer that God gave me. And he gave it to me. It was a gift. But I hit a wall, and I fell to my knees, and I begged Jesus, please help me, because I'm tempted, Father, to run. I just wanted to run. But he bent down, and he picked me up, and he set me on my feet. And here I am in this decade now, I'm a mom of three grown children who all love the Lord, and I'm a grandma, and it's all thanks to Jesus. A real woman is a woman of grace. Now, there's a second thing that's going to help you to understand my age, and that is I have a problem. <laughs> so just bear with me here. But a real woman is a woman of grace. What is grace? Well, the Greek word is charis, and, and, and that is actually Will and Dona's daughter is named charis. It's beautiful. Um, we get our American, we get our English word charity from that. It's a free gift. It's undeserved. It's God's favor on our lives. Again, I'm going back to John 8. I want you to think about this every time I say the word grace. It's God's amazing grace on my life. What is a woman of God? What is a woman? What is a real woman? She's a woman of grace. She's accepted that free gift that Jesus offers. A real woman desires God's grace to accomplish great things. What is a great thing? 
A great thing is a changed life, whether it's your children, whether it's ministering to the homeless, whether it's ministering here in church and in all the capacities that we have. A great thing is a changed life. So it's whatever we do to make an impact on someone else's life and show them the love of Jesus. The Proverbs 31 woman is an amazing woman. And and by the way, for that time, the fact that she was able to trade, buy property, do the things that in that day and age, women were, were basically owned. They didn't have anything to trade with. But this, here this woman was. She had money. She was able to buy and trade. She made sure that her family was clothed. In the winter, they weren't worried because her her family was warm. They had food because she provided for them. It was God's grace on her life. This is the kind of woman that we can be, whether we're married or not. She looked at the future with joy. In fact, my ESV version says she laughs at the future. How many of you women, when you have something really big and you're, you're just... The the temptation to worry is how many of us laugh at that because we're so confident in the Lord. I struggle. That's a struggle for me. Ephesians 2.8 and verse 10 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And then the most important verse, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Every one of us women, whether we're married or not, have good things planned before we were ever born for us to do, that we would walk in them. A great thing. I see Becky Parsons and Sandra Triplett, who from the inception of day three have worked tirelessly in the nursery or with children. I see Elaine Tolbert, who's done things with no one ever knowing that have affected this church in a mighty way. And by the way, she writes the most beautiful, encouraging notes. I see Wanda, who's back at the, at the greeting station, week after week. Krista Compton, who at the age that she is, could sit back and retire, and that would be okay because of the long life she's lived. But instead, she's here at the Busy Bee Preschool, making an impact on little ones' lives. That's a great thing. If you've heard of Lottie Moon, if you haven't, I challenge you to Google her. This is an amazing woman who in the 1800s gave up all that she had to go over to China and minister over there. You know what she found out when she got there was the women in that culture were not being reached by the men who were already there as missionaries, that it needed to be a woman. Because of that culture, a woman had to impact another woman. And it was because of her that many, many women came to Christ and lives were changed, and that's a great thing. A great thing, I I look at my life and I just, again, I, I think of my kids and my grandkids. Those are great things, but again, not because of me, it's because of God's grace in my life. It's his opportunity. Women, if you're not married or if you don't have children, it's it's opportunities that we couldn't dream of that God provides for us. I was in South Africa last year leading worship to little ones. I was in Australia leading worship for for ministering people over there in Sydney. Things I never dreamed I would get to do, God has allowed me to do, partner with my husband in a ministry that fits us beautifully. Because why? Because of God's grace and because we submit and I submit both to my husband and then to God. Who am I? Who am I? 
I'm that woman that fell down every time she hit a wall. But God lifted me up, and he said, I want to use you, Wendy. A real woman is desperate for God's grace to endure. To accomplish great things, it almost always means we have to endure hardship or great things. James 1-2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Women, it's grace to stay young as a teenager. It was hard for me in the 70s. I watched my kids go through it in the 90s, and I can only imagine it must be even harder today. It's grace being a young woman, married or not, trying to make it financially in these tough economic times. It's grace if we're married to a controlling husband. It's grace to be a young mom and have to be home day after day with little ones who stress us. And yet it's grace if we have to go off to work and leave our little one at home. It's grace in growing older and still not meeting the man of our dreams, or we've met that man of our dreams and we lost him through divorce or death. It's grace saying goodbye to our kids as they leave the nest, some quicker than others. It's grace for our own health, my cancer, the tumor, the chemotherapy, the being bald. I needed grace. It's grace as we lose our parents or our family. It's grace as our bodies change. For years I was told I looked younger than my years. I'm not told that so much anymore. It's grace to endure mistakes. It's grace to forgive ourselves when we've made those mistakes. We can call on God's unmerited and unlimited favor constantly. We need to learn to take our fears and our weaknesses to him. Even when we think our pain is unbearable or our situation is impossible, his grace is unlimited. It's huge. A friend of mine tells this story. She was in the store. It was Christmas time. She'd spent a lot of money. Her husband was with her, and he was getting a little nervous about the money that was spent. And she picked something up in the aisle that she really believed she needed. And she was putting it in the cart, and her husband very insensitively and almost shamingly said, put it back. And he was rude, and there ensued a, a, a little fight in the store. And my friend was humiliated. She put the item back. She submitted to her husband, and she went through the line and got her stuff. And as she was going through and getting ready to walk out the door, a woman ran up behind her, handed her that very thing that she wanted to purchase, said, ma'am, I saw what happened in the store with you today, and I just felt I wanted to buy this for you here. That's our God. When we do the right thing, when we submit and we walk in that way that we're supposed to walk, he will either do this, he will change our husband's minds, or he will change the circumstance. Whatever you endure, you can take those ashes, and God, through his grace, will turn them into beauty. Isaiah 61, verse 3, says this, Bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Women, you and me, have the opportunity to display that splendor of God. 
and it doesn't look the same. The beauty of the weaving and, and the masterpiece that God is making us as a body is that we're all different, that the calls and those good things that he has for us to do are all different. A real woman receives grace to walk in the dignity of a queen. Dignity, what is that? That's inherent worth. So we're walking, women, in the dignity that is not because of us, it's not because of our husbands, it's because of Jesus Christ. He is the king, he owns it all, and we are walking in his worth, we are his royalty, because we're his child. Queen Esther, in the book of Esther, it's a beautiful story, beautiful story of a young Jewish girl who's brought into the, the king of Persia, and actually he chooses her as queen for some, because of some things that had happened, and she's raised up and as the queen of this vast land, because in those days it was the largest kingdom on earth, she was able to save her people, the Jewish nation, because of her access to her husband, the king. She was royalty. She did a great thing. Women, we can do a great thing. There is no real beauty without grace. No matter your past, no matter your circumstances, if you're poor, walk in the worth of Jesus Christ. He owns it all. If you've committed a great sin, walk in the forgiveness. And remember this, Jesus bending down, stooping down to set us up and to forgive us. Walk in that forgiveness that Jesus has for us. If you don't feel attractive, or even if you do feel attractive, Revelation 20 says this, Dress yourself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our deeds don't save us. Jesus Christ saves us. But we are, and especially women, we are to dress ourselves in those good deeds, in those great things that God has planned in the beginning for us to walk in. So this morning, ladies, if you don't know Jesus, I challenge you, he is the person you want to get to know. Take your pain to God. When we take our pain anywhere else, we make things worse. We make our circumstances that much harder. By God's grace, accomplish something great for God. By God's grace, endure every hardship. And by God's grace, and with the dignity of a queen, because women, that's what we are. And that's how we need to see ourselves. If we know Jesus, that's who we are. Pastor. So we've been talking about rings. <clears throat> what does your marriage look like? Does it look like a wrestling match or a boxing match or a cage match? Does it look like things wilting because of the way the relationship is in the home? Does it look like gloves on or gloves off or inactivity, just hands in the pockets, not being the man that God's called you to be? What does your marriage really look like today? Today we've looked at what a real woman looks like from God's perspective. And that's what I pray and hope it is. Because it was from my perspective, it was no good. 
And if it's just from Wendy's perspective, it's no good. But if we've talked about marriage in a real man, in a real woman, from God's perspective, based upon Scripture, then there's benefit there for our lives. So what does your marriage look like? Guys, have you been viewing your wife? Have you viewed her as a special gift that God's given you? As a helper, not to do it all, but to help you do some things. Have you viewed her as maybe a God-given boundary sometimes on your life? To speak truth into your life and to help guide you. Have you viewed her as being a part of your life? But even as important of a part she is, have you realized that Jesus Christ must come first if you're going to have the marriage and if you're going to be the husband and help encourage her to be the wife that she ought to be, that Christ has to come first in the relationship. Ladies, do you realize how important you are in God's heart that you can walk with grace, that through His grace you can do amazing things? Wendy alluded to uh, teaching children here. Newsflash. We need more people teaching children. <laughs> and as we grow, we'll always need more people teaching children. You can do something great for God and have the grace to do it. If you'll just pray about it and ask Him, what do you want me to do? You can do some very great things for God. The band's going to come out and play in just a moment. Before they do, this is actually part of the invitation. And I started to do this more extravagant, and, and then I kind of looked at time factors and everything, and I thought, you know what, I really don't need to do it more extravagant. I started to do what we're about to do, kind of with a whole nine yards, vows and everything. But then as I prayed about it this week, and I looked at what I had to say that God had led me to and what God had led Wendy to say, I don't think we have to go through all of it. Guys, I think right now, if you'll just take your wife by the hand and say, I do, she'll understand what you're talking about. And before we even sing the song and start the invitation, I want to challenge you right now as a man for you to take the step. Take your wife by the hand if she's here. If she's not, as soon as you get to see her, you go up and say, I do, and she'll look at you like, what are you talking about? And then you tell her. <laughs> but if she's here, why not step out right now? Take her by the hand. Join me here at the front. We're going to do this before we sing because I want to apply this to the next level for some other folks. Would you do that? If your wife's here, take her by the hand and join me here at the front.
let some get through the crowd. I tell couples this whenever I go over vows with them or doing a ceremony, don't look at me. I'm already married. <laughs> you need to look at each other. So do that right now. Just look at each other. And guys, will you lead in at first? And then ladies, you follow? Just look and say, I do. Ladies, I do. Uh, we're even getting kisses here at the front. <laughs> we better hurry and dismiss. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. If you return to your seat, the band's going to come out and play, and we're going to have a time of decision. Uh, we're going to pray for someone right before we leave here at the end of the service also in a special way. Here's the rest of the invitation. For some reason you can't say that because of issues in your marital relationship, then you need to pray about it and ask God to help you. If she or he wasn't here, go find them and talk to them about some of the stuff we've talked about and tell them I do. But here's the most important part of the challenge for right now. Just as you saw these men and women look at each other and say, I do. There's a God in heaven that wants you to look to Him and say, I do. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, as simple as it was for them to look to each other and say, I do, there is a Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross with extended arms longing for you to say, I do. And if you don't know Him as Savior, I'll be here at the front. Darrell will be here at the front. I'm going to have a couple of our ladies be here at the front also, just in case some of you ladies feel like you need to have someone pray with you about something that's going on in your life or in your relationship. But especially if you don't know Christ, why not look to Him this morning and say, I do, before you leave. Everyone please stand as the band sings.